Good evening, and welcome to the Two Bit Gamers podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Laz Tanti, and this is episode seven of the Two Bit Gamers podcast. And joining me once again, as always, is my good mate, Mr. David Rizzuto. David, how's tricks? Uh, yeah, things are good. My end, how about you? Good, man, good. Um, it's a good weekend. Mm. Good weekend. Um, got some things done. Uh, had a good movie night on uh, Friday, Friday night. Nice. I watched Star Wars Episode 6, uh, sorry, Episode 5, Emperor Strikes Back, the 1980 course, classic. Yep. Just because my brother was bugging me to watch it? Favorite. Nah, I'm joking. I like it. I love Star Wars, man. Star Wars is awesome. I think it's my favorite out of that whole saga. Yeah, Empire. me too, yeah. I always thought episode four was my favorite, but every time I watch episode five now, I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, this is it. This is the one. Yeah. Like, you know, knowing that, you know, um, Darth Vader is uh, Luke Skywalker's son and um, getting to see all these different planets as well. You know, the Ectobar system, Dagobah system, sorry, and Cloud City, which is Besman, Cloud City. That was a freaking awesome. Yeah. That was freaking awesome. Just seeing that. It just said, uh... Reminds me of thinking about the uh, Super Nintendo a- a- adaptation of the entire trilogy and how difficult they were. Oh, Super Star Wars, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. freaking, yeah. Yeah, we should, we should have added that to the list <laughs> of the last episode. I think we, I think we may have uh, talked about it briefly at first, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I, where, where to start with that game? I think the further I ever got that uh, game uh, was... Uh, God, uh, not even past um, the raid against. Um, I can't remember the names so much of the Star Wars than I am. Um, it took place in the beginning of the movie where they're fighting against the stormtroopers mm. in the snow. Oh, that's yeah. right, yeah. Um, what I was going to say, but yeah, man, um, even like, but even like seeing um, that planet. Uh, when it first started off, it was, you know, seeing, like, seeing the snow and seeing all these, like, pro droids and that, it was freaking awesome, man. Like, you know, especially, like, all the special yeah. effects they came up with, man. It was off the chain, man, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, man. And, um, in the day after, I watched one of my favorite TV series of all time, which was made into a movie, which was Sopranos, The Saints of Newark. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, how did you write? I was a bit disappointed. Mm. This the scene, the plot, and I, I, I was based on Dicky Montesanti, but um, I found it a bit chopped up. I, was, I found it a bit, all, a bit all over the place. But in hindsight, I like the characters. Man, the characters are pretty good. Yeah. Um, you know, especially the, the, the actor that was playing Dicky Montesanti. Man, he he was really good. I have to admit. Um, but yeah, man, um, I don't want to give away too much, but, um, if you guys, the old people who are listening, who are fans of the Sopranos, um, check it out, man. It's on HBO Max. You can stream it on there. And, uh, yeah, man, uh, I yeah. liked it, but I'll probably rate it probably seven out of 10. Yeah. We should because probably that, that could have done a, a lot of better, actually. That, that could have done a yeah. lot, a bit more better, but, you know, yeah. you know but. 
should, sorry to interrupt. We should probably yeah. make it clear that HBO Max is probably uh, only available in the US, South America, and some parts of Europe. In this case, where here in Australia, we'll probably have to wait a little bit until it comes to a binge. Well, I'm sure you could stream it, couldn't you? If you just um, used like a VPN or something like that. Maybe, but from what I heard, don't quote me on this, but what I heard yeah. that HBO Max is rather strict when it comes to VPN uh, streaming. Mm. So they got something where they can somehow bypass the VPN, last I heard. Mm. But um, yeah, the th- thing is that you still need to, uh, to sign up. You still need to have a valid credit card um, for that. I'm not mm. sure if it even accepts Australian uh, credit cards. But yeah. Um, All right, there you go. Yeah, it's something that we need to be mindful of. Um, I know that uh, some people have uh, been able to um, sign up on HBO in Australia. They were able to watch Game of Thrones several years back. But I'm not 100% sure if you can do the same for HBO Max. But yeah, um, might be coming here. Might have to wait here for uh, a little while until it comes to Australia. Yeah, well, um, didn't know that actually. Well, I was gonna be playing. I've downloaded it, so <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna be blunt. I downloaded it because, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm got HBO Max. So, but it's on HBO yeah, Max. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, what are you gonna do, man? We're in lockdown, mate. I would have saw it in the cinemas if I had to, but we're in lockdown, mm. so we can't go to the cinemas. So, yeah. Anyway, all good, man. But yeah, watched that movie and um, caught up on some housework as usual. Got some groceries done, made some dinner as usual. Um, you know, um, and that's about it, man. And I've been working on some music as well. Uh, for those who nice. don't know, I make I make hip hop beats, and I got a few projects coming out. But apart from that, man, it's been chilling, man. How about you, David? What have you been up to? How was yeah, good. Before I do, I, I just remember that. Uh, Ice Planet, Empire Strikes Back. It was Hoff. Hoff, that's right. Planet Hoff, that's right. So, I mean, when you get old, man, you start to forget things, you know what I mean? So, well, I'm not that old yet. (laughs) Well, technically, I will be soon. Yeah. Maybe for another. When are our, you know, we're we're nearly in our mid 30s. So, you know, this catches up to you. That's right, yeah. <laughs> no, but to uh, answer your question, yeah, I mean, you know, this weekend I kept it rather low. Um, got out as much as I could with the fresh air, really. Um, also just uh, caught up with playing on retro Super Nintendo gaming, which we'll get into that later on in the episode. Yep. Yeah, and that's just about it. Nothing uh, nothing too crazy and just uh, biding my time uh, for the week ahead. That's it, man. As always, that's right, man. Just go to work, come home, and that's it. <laughs> that's all we can do. So, In your case, yeah, you definitely got to work. For me, I still work from home. Yeah, I, I work at a, um, I work at a factory, man. You know, uh, you could say warehouse factory. You know, just you know. Um, working in the furniture industry, you know, uh, picking, packing stock and doing deliveries and such like that. So, yeah, been at it for a while, but, you know, it's better than being at home, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I could probably, probably speak for you. It's probably frustrating working, being working, like working at home, 
You know, I find it frustrating. I'm just as I'm personally just as effective as I am working in the office as I am working from home. But I find uh, the home situation frustrating mm. personally. Yeah. Um, just for if you're you're not you're not because you're not interacting with anybody. Home. You're just working from home. You're not interacting with anybody. You know what I mean? Like with workmates that's and such. And that's what probably frustrates true. you. You know yep. what I mean? So. Oh, that's definitely true. But also just the communication stalls. Communication stalls, yeah, for working from home. Yeah, yeah. I know. That, that must be frustrating too, for sure. Oh, 100%. Yeah. No. no, that's all right, man. All right, cool. So on today's topic, we're going to be talking about the games that push the limits of the classic consoles, such as the 2600, the Super Nintendo, the Mega Drive, N64, and the PlayStation. That's right. And before we do talk about that, i got one announcement. So, Sega of Japan have decided to bring out a Master System adapter for the Mega Drive Mini. Now, Mr. David, have you ever heard about the power-based converter that came out back in the lifespan of the Mega Drive? Um, I don't remember it coming in here. I probably did, but it probably wasn't uh, that popular. Mm. If we, correct me if I'm wrong, that's... Uh, uh, that's when you're able to connect your Mega Drive to Master System games, right? Yeah, so basically what it is, it's a power-based converter, and that fits into right. the Mega Drive Model 1. Right. And you can... So it's similar to, let's say, the Game Boy converter for the Super Nintendo, right? Pretty much, yeah. So Yeah, fair enough, yeah. Yeah, so basically, it's a, it's a power-based converter, which slots yep. into your Mega Drive's uh, cartridge slot. And you can play Master System games on your Mega Drive. Yeah. Except uh, this uh, mini console doesn't actually play any cartridges. It only plays no, it doesn't, no. eight built games. Yeah. Do you want to announce those games, Mr. David? Yeah, I can see this right here. So the only eight games we've got available are Alex Kidd in Miracle World. Awesome and game. Alex Kidd was like, Have you ever played Alex yeah, Kidd? Alex Kidd. Yeah, I remember playing Alex Kidd a uh, long time ago. But... Um, I always prefer Sonic, to be honest. <laughs> Funny enough, Alex Kidd was actually the uh, the original concept for uh, mascot, not concept, a mascot for mascot, yeah, uh, for Sega for the yeah. Sega, yeah, for the Sega Master System, yeah. Right, yeah, and then Fantasy Zone, yep, classic. Uh, Penguin Land, yep. Uh, that's platform puzzler, uh, Quartet, yep. Uh, Enduro Racer. Never played Quartet. <laughs> Running gun yeah. game with a jetpack. I think I've seen it, but I've never played it. But anyway, yeah. Yep. And then we got Woody Pop, uh, Mace Hunter 3D, mm-hmm. and Secret Commander, which is apparently a re-release of Rambo First Blood Part Two without the license. Wow. Okay. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. So um, there were a couple of um, Rambo games. Well, this one's a Rambo game. Well, basically, this is a Rambo game, Secret Command, which is a re-release of Rambo: The First Blood Part Two without a license, like we were saying before. And then you got. Rambo uh, Part Three, which came out after that, for the mega, for the Mars system. Oh well, so going forward, it's a, it seems to be I don't know if uh, Secret Commando um, was always was released as the, it was called when it first came out. Uh, so does that mean that going forward, if they want to make uh, uh, if they want to release uh, new games? Um, uh, in retail, with the um, uh, emulators, I mean, whether it be mini consoles, that, that would probably mean that they'd have to 
rebrand a little bit, wouldn't they? Assuming if they could, depends if uh, they can um, uh, do an, a lot of work on it where they've got the, the ability to change the name, the licensing name, uh, without all the whole, overhauling the whole game. Mm. Makes sense? Yeah, I think... Um, I think that... with Rambo, I mean, uh, change the name and it seems to be just your standard uh, action shoot-up game. Yeah, it's it's basically it looks like um, Commando, the original the yep. original Capcom arcade classic Commando, um, yep. but just uh, with um, Rambo. That's right. Mm. And uh, with this game, it reminds me of uh, Rambo Three for the Mega Drive as well. Mm. Yeah, which was also released for the Master System as well. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. It was yeah, also right. top down um, graphics. Uh, with the same awkward um, little pallets that pass the bullets. Mm. <laughs> uh, no, I actually thought that Rambo 3 for uh, the Mega Drive was uh, pretty pretty good for its time, especially when uh, was a, you were able to um, fire your bow and arrow at, at a helicopter. Um, but yeah, look, um, yeah, at least that uh, they were able to... Uh, re-release that without worrying any licensing problems. Mm. Good way to circumvent it. So yeah, so only eight, eight games. games. Yeah, that's it. Um, um, I, don't, I don't see any uh, why you could hack this to add more games unless you just open it up and um, reflash the, the the chip that's that ha- that holds all these ROMs. But yeah, man, that's, that's all I've got. But this seems to me this is, it's only going to be re- released in Japan not to the west and the adapted itself is only for sure isn't it pretty much yeah because that's what they did when they when they released the mega drive when I when they released the mega drive mini uh it came with a 32x adapter <laughs> but you couldn't do nothing with it, it was this for sure but at least this one it's got 8 build games which is probably a plus so for the retro mm-hmm. games. I'm surprised that there's only eight games. I would have yeah. thought that Shinobi, usual Shinobi uh, would have been in there. I don't know, man. It's just, sometimes it does puzzle me. Like when I just, when I do come out with these games or whatever, they should just extend the library just a bit. Like I reckon 21 games is reasonable. Very reasonable. Right. Yeah. Eight games, you can probably get bored very quickly. You know what I mean? And I don't know, like, you know, people who are diehard fans are like Alex, Alex the Kid. You can clock that game in like 30 minutes. Mm. Fantasy Zone, you know, even Secret... I don't know about Secret Command, but um, yeah, Alex Alex the Kid, man. It doesn't take long at all. 30 minutes, you're done. It's pretty It's pretty, uh, pretty fast-paced, actually, so, yeah. Most uh, Master System games were pretty short, weren't they? Um, uh, 30 minutes. Um, no, no, probably, yeah. actually. Um, yeah. I won the boy in Monsterland. It was pretty extensive. That extensive. Took me a while. That, 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 that took me a while to clock. To okay. Finish. Yeah. yeah probably take, probably take about 50. four hours to clock. Oh, really? Four or five hours, okay. yeah. It's a very hard game too. You, you, you'll die yeah. instantly. You'll just keep dying and dying. It's very hard. Very hard. So I should clarify that when I... My question on the... Uh, uh, infers to sort of length of game regardless of difficulty. Yeah, it's it's lengthy. It's it's more lengthy than uh, Alex Kid. So, let's put it in that perspective. Right. So, yeah. 
Makes sense. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's still disappointing. I mean, um, yeah, it doesn't really affect us since this will unlikely ever uh, be released outside of Japan. But nah. I'm still disappointed that you've only because even even the 32x adapter didn't come out to the West either. So you just have to order through Japan, through the Amazon store or whatever, or through Sega or Japan to get it. So it costs what is it, 4,500 yen? So that's the equivalent of 40 uh, US dollars. Yeah, there you go. And 30, 30 euros. Mm. Uh, would you say it's worth it? It's a novelty. You know, you, you get in the mold of the power-based converter with the games. You know, it's a it's a quick crash grab for anyone who's who's a diehard fan of the power-based converter. For anyone who had the power-based converter growing up, you know, it's probably, you know, a, a very good novelty yeah. for the for the person who it was in love with the power base converter, you know, the person didn't have the ma- the mass system at the time and bought that, you know, just to play mass system games on the Mega Drive. So, you know, right. um, but yeah, but yeah, it's pretty cool, man. Pretty cool, pretty cool, say the least. So yeah. All right, awesome. so I guess we talk about our, our main topic now. Uh, before we do, I just want to make a correction. All oh, right. Yep. Yep. Uh, yep. Sorry about last that. Last episode. Yeah. Uh, uh, when we talked about the uh, announcement of uh, Nintendo 64's uh, Sega Mega Drive games uh, mm-hmm. coming out on Nintendo Switch. Yep. Um, just uh, made the following mistake uh, in regards to the titles that were coming out. The last episode, I mentioned that nine games will be coming out would be Banjo-Kazooie, Pokemon Snap, Legend of Zelda, Majora's Mask, Kirby 64, Mario Golf, uh, Pepper Mario and F Zero X would be the titles that would be first introduced. Actually, um, they haven't been released yet. There are actually games that are confirmed to be coming soon, but are still not available on the service yet. The actual games that are out at the moment, that is uh, scheduled for late August release on the Nintendo Switch, Nintendo Switch Online, are Super Mario 64, uh, Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time, Mario Kart 64. Lilac Wars, Sin and Punishment, Dr. Mario 64, Mario Tennis 64, Operation Wimback, and Yoshi's Story. And it's also confirmed that you can play four, play, four players online to play Mario Kart 64. That's awesome. Those are the games That's that are awesome. actually coming out uh, for Nintendo Switch online at the end 64. Have they said it more, uh, They said roughly late, late October. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's still that's rather right. tentative, but it's definitely coming up for late October. Yeah, apologies for the mix up, but yeah, those no, are the games. That's all good, man. That's all good. Yeah, I'm those sure other games. Will are, understand. Yeah, those other games are erroneously uh, mentioned that will be coming up first. They're definitely coming, but sooner than one might might have hoped. Mm. That's all right. Because also, um, I heard uh, there's going to be some GameCube games coming into the into the online store as well. But later on, no, really. Mm. Oh, GameCube. That's gonna be very interesting, awesome. actually. See how they those are optimized on the Switch. So yeah, well, we'll just watch this space. Um, I dread though that uh, some fans will probably be very upset if it doesn't meet their expectations performance-wise. Mm, exactly. No, that's no. all good, man. All right, man. So uh, let's talk about the main topic. And um, yeah, man. Um, I guess I'll start first, if you want. 
Or do you want to start first? It's up to you. Yep. All right, cool. Yep. All right. Too easy. Yep. So I'll, we'll start. Well, I'll let you start first because you'll be talking going back uh, to the 8 bit era. 8 bit era. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Pretty much. All right. Now, David, are you familiar with the Atari 2600? Yes, I am. I got to admit, though, um, Atari games uh, back in what uh, games that dated back to the uh, late seventies, early eighties, probably wasn't the the right uh, uh, platform for me to get started in the game. Because like I got, like I said before, I got very spoiled with the sixty four uh, thirty two bit graphics growing yeah, up. Yeah. So when I look back at uh, the, the Atari game, I thought, well, this is pretty primitive. But yeah, mm. I, I remember playing uh, just a uh, uh, one game once with the uh, Atari uh, on that on that um, console. I thought, yeah, this doesn't really beat Sonic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. No, the the they, the the graphics at the time were very uh, very limited, just because of the no. hardware. Because the hardware came out in 1977, uh, obviously. For anyone who grew up with the Atari. 2600 um but that, that but that's what pretty much kick-started games as we know it today for the consoles it was a tiny the atari 2600 yeah had interchangeable cartridges um had a joystick and um and had these little dip switches as well on, on the front of the console to change some game modes and stuff like that um <laughs> but yeah i never owned one i think my parents owned one but I think they owned the Junior Edition, the 20, 2600 Junior Edition, which came out right. in the 84, I believe, in 1984. Um, but yeah, but the, one of the first games I want to talk about that pushed the limits of the console was uh, Pitfall 2, Lost Caverns, which came out uh, in 1984. So basically... Uh, Pitfall, in general, is a uh, protagonist. Um, he's like you could probably say he's like Indiana Jones, in a way. You know, you, yeah. you're, in a, you're in the jungle, and you're pretty much your objective is to just uh, collect gold and such stuff like that, and dodge snakes, um, crocodiles, cobras, quicksand, yeah. all that stuff. But uh, when Pitfall 2 came out, so sorry, before I talk about Pitfall 2, so pretty much Pitfall was very basic, very basic platformer. That's pretty much kicked off the platforming side scrollers, which was Pitfall 2. Oh, sorry, Pitfall 1. And um, very basic sounds as well, you know, you beeps and bloops and such, which was pretty much classic with the 2600. Uh, but when Pitfall 2 came out, uh, the programmer, David Crane, Add an additional chip to the twenty to uh, sorry to uh, additional chip to the PCB of the cartridge mm. to add um, updated uh, graphics, a slight of update of graphics and background music in game. And that's that would have been such a fit because uh, gra- background music uh, for the Atari. Would- very hard it didn't incorporate. exist it didn't it existed yeah. this here and there but it didn't exist fully on the 3600 
And you'd probably be stuck with a certain number of peeps that it could only replicate. Uh, I just had a uh, continuous um, synth loop up from the 2600. Yeah. You know, yeah. your basic um, loop patterns with the 2600 with, with a composed soundtrack, which was only one song, which was played continuously throughout the game. But it was very innovative for the 2600 because not, uh, there was no other game that did that at the time for the yeah. 2600. So David, the innovation was pretty impressive. Yeah, with David Crane, he uh, he actually uh, did a remarkable job. Um, yeah, so to me, that, that pretty much pushed the limits up to twenty six hundred because he couldn't. Um, what was I was gonna say there. Yeah, so he couldn't really um, uh, push the limits from the console. He had to. Uh, Add additional chips, or well, I think it was just one chip, to the cartridge itself to uh, sync it with the 2600. So it's registering yep. with the chip when you're playing it, and that's added additional data and stuff, and channeling more data to the 2600. So it's not using the the, uh, the main um, components from the 2600 if you if you're uh, understanding me that way. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Would you say that uh, the upgrade to uh, uh, the chips uh, hardware, well, the hardware may have uh, improved the, the graphics a little bit? Because before I could yeah, see yeah, it, the graphics were really... improved actually, and yeah, and, and, yeah. and there was an inbuilt um, level music as well. Yeah, because what I can tell, comparing uh, Pitbull and Pitbull 2 is that the sequel seems to be brighter in comparison. Yeah, it's brighter. Uh, it's just. It's a little trickery in the graphics, you know. It's probably a bit more colourful as well, um, and it's it's um, it's a bit more creative too. Because when you see the level layout, it's very creative because you're walking on this plane, and when you jump off the plane, you land in the water and you're swimming. Yeah. And then when you when you, you see this gold bar and you, and you collect the gold bar, you're inside the caves. And that was pretty innovative for the 2600. So, there's, there, was, so there it, wasn't. It attempted more detail. It was that, more detail uh, in it, and, uh, and it was a, yeah. yeah. And it was a bit more interesting. That, uh, and, uh, your usual Atari, definitely more detail than your usual Atari game yeah. uh, could have offered back in those days. Mm. Of course, this was long before, this was years before that uh, side-scrolling uh, even existed. So obviously it's one of those games where if you reach the other end of the screen, it would change the next frame, next uh, different background. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Um, well, it was Pitfall that kicked off the side-scroller, so... Well, picked off the platform game, anyway. Because That's when you right. play an original Pitfall, it doesn't scroll, it just goes to the next screen. Yeah. Yeah. But, in hindsight, just to pay respects, Super Mario Brothers was probably one of the first major side-scrollers to ever come out, which exploded side-scrolling games in general. Yeah, so... Pitfall 2 came out in 84. 84, yeah. yeah and it's been, it's been ported 80. as well. It's been ported to other various systems, uh, like the TRS-80 Coco, also the Apple yep. II. There was also an arcade version as well. Uh, it was also released for the 5200, the ColecoVision, Commodore 64, the MSX, the IBM PC Junior, the Sega SG-1000, the TRS-80 Color, computer and, his, and the ZX Spectrum. Yeah. 
Oh man, just uh, yeah, yeah. Well, people can say about how these uh, how the games like that look nowadays, but like it or not, they definitely made um, uh, an influence. Uh, well, they definitely were pioneered in the yeah, David uh, Crane, Crane that did it. Uh, yeah. He worked for a company called Activision, and Activision had the best titles for the 2600, hands down. Um, and David Crane, he's, 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 a, he's a genius, man, because you know he he pushed the limits of the 2600, you know, and that's pretty yeah. that's pretty pretty hard to do in my standards. Uh, well, the original Pitfall is still uh, highly regarded to this day. Yeah. Uh, back in 2001, um, um, an American video magazine called Game Informer placed it number 41 on their top 100 games of all time. Yep, that's right. That was back 20 years ago. And in 2004, Pitfall was identified on the GameSpot website among the, one of the greatest games of all time. That's right. And historically, yeah definitely did have uh, you can't uh, deny its influence and uh, how it uh, changed the game in terms of uh, side scrolling or mm. platform games uh, not side scrolling that's yeah, so probably one of the first platformers to ever come out from my from my point yep. of, uh, from my understanding um, and it was David Crane that did it um, yeah I think it's safe to say without it we wouldn't be having uh, Mario or Sonic or any platform oh. game. There would be platformers, but it wouldn't be as creative as what David David did back in 1982 with Pitfall. You know, because yeah. everyone because everyone takes inspiration, you know, from Absolutely. from other games. So that's how, like, you know, when you see Super Mario Brothers, it's pretty much probably uh, inspiration from probably Pitfall. You know, to see yep. that concept on the 2600. So yeah. Um, but yeah, man, I actually um, saw Pitfall 2 a long time ago um, in the box at uh, my local carnival in St. Albans. And there was like a little really? trash and treasure um, <laughs> section. And I saw it and I thought, oh, cool, Pitfall. Because I actually owned Pitfall, um, Pitfall uh, 3D for the PS1. And I remember I had this cheat book and I saw this code to enable the original pitfall and when he typed in the code in the password screen enabled the 2600 version and you could play it on the PlayStation if you had um, pitfall 3d on the PS1 right yeah so that's how I knew about pitfall so for my younger you days. have an Atari console at home yeah no I don't <laughs> sadly oh, <you> don't. <laughs> nah I will be getting one though, hopefully, very soon, you know, once everything starts to open up again, but yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, so, so. Uh, your console catalog extends from Nintendo. Um, yeah, Nintendo, um, Sega Mega Drive, <laughs> PlayStation, Super yeah. Nintendo, and NES, N64, yeah. Atari right. Lynx. I've got Atari Lynx. I think I've showed you okay. Atari Lynx, yeah. Uh, right. I've got my Game Boys, Game Boys as well. Um, yeah, so. And you could be, you could be Australia's version of Angry Video Game No. <laughs> the way you're going. <laughs> nah, man, he, he beats me by the punch. He's got a shitload of consoles, man. Yes, <laughs> Have you seen does, his game yeah. room? <laughs> he even has the Tiger handheld game. Oh, no, the Tiger handheld, yeah. But you're going oh, to give him credit, though. He, he, he did it at a time where no one gave a crap about that, that stuff. Yeah. 
Man. Well, you look at it now. He started in, you know what I mean? In the 2000s, he did start in the 2000s, and uh, yeah. all these uh, classic games and consoles will still. They're still fairly recent to really get nostalgic about. Oh, really there was a bit of a market for it, but no, no one gave a crap. No one gave a crap. Now it's it's blown to this. You know what I mean? Um, this this craze where everyone loves it now. You know, so yeah. which is nostalgia. So you know, eighties, nineties nostalgia. So yeah. But uh, cool. So Pitfall Two: Lost Caverns. I recommend this game. Awesome game. All right, moving on. I think I remember playing only the original, but not being any good at it because mm. I could never. Cause I remember having that uh, typical Atari control, only one button, that large joystick. Yeah. But like, this is in my hand. I, I was only at probably. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a bit awkward now. I would. I wouldn't. I wouldn't recommend playing on a joystick. Yeah. Yeah. Unless unless you you know you grew up with the twenty six hundred. That's all you had and used to it but I never grew up with the 2600 and I'm sure you didn't either so for us it's like get this controller out of here man give us give us a d-pad <laughs> <laughs> with two buttons I'm good <laughs> yeah uh, remember remember like I said I was very spoiled when it came to this but saying graphics. that though you can actually connect a Mega Drive controller to your Atari 2600 because it's got the D9 it's got the similar uh, connection it's got, very, it's got a same connection Oh, okay, so similar import, and you can yeah, plug it yeah, in. Got, okay. Yeah, inputs are very, are very are, are the same. It's a, it's a nine-din connector, so you can connect a Mega Drive controller, massive controller. You connect either in a Commodore sixty-four joystick to it as well. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's yeah, pretty. That's pretty. Right. It's pretty nifty. So yeah. Cool. All right, cool. Moving on now. So the next game is the all oh, the next system I'm going to be talking about is the NES, um, and the game I'm going to be talking about is. Batman Return of the Joker which just pops out of my mind because I played this game um, back in the day and I pretty much I did talk about this game too how frustrating it was how hard it was but the graphics were pretty phenomenal for the for the system mm. um, you know obviously I mean, as, Batman, I mean, as, soon as, I, as soon as I hear the similarly net titled uh, Revenge of the Joker on Sega Mega Drive which is basically I see it port just with a different name. I sort of get PTSD flashbacks just because of how frustrating it is. Yeah. And the graphics, the graphics were probably a bit too colorful for a Batman game, personally. Oh, uh, you know, like the because the color palette alone for the NES was pretty bland during the 1980s. You know, just yeah. a lot of brown and green and, and yellow and. It wasn't as vibrant as the Sega Master System, let's put it that way, but um, it's still an awesome console. But when I always played that game, I always found it, the graphics being very good, very good. Um, and this game came out in 1991, which was still early in the NES yep. lifespan. Um, I want to say, not, not too early, I'll say like mid to early to mid. Before the SNES came out, which was in oh, actually 1991 anyway, but it was still early. Like, if we talk about NES, the lifespan, it just continued in 1994. Yeah, you know, and that's when other games like Super Nintendo took over. But yeah, man, just look, yeah, just, just look having at, a look. Yeah, as I was saying, uh, just having a look at the animation. It, I like the animation better mm. on the 
NES compared to the Sega Mega Drive. The Sega Mega Drive I just found it to be rather yeah. bland, awkward. Yeah. Whereas here in the NES, it's got that um, better shade of blue on Batman, yeah. as opposed to the um, blue and grey uh, in the Sega Mega Drive version. Which, to be fair, that's what, what he looked like in the comics back yeah. in those days. But, uh, probably just a bit too much color for my liking, and uh, the gameplay mm. was just more frustrating. Um, but it's interesting about the, this game, uh, from what I can see with the title card for uh, uh, original Nintendo, it kind of looked like it was uh, part, uh, a bit of a semi-sequel to the the Batman game, from basically the 89 movie. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. Because it even has the same uh, title sequence. Yeah, but I'm just looking at it right now. Um, even seen the, the parallax uh, background. Yeah. You know, you didn't get that in, in the NES. It was, it was pretty rare. Um, just looking at even like the colors. The colors are very good. Um, the animation is very fluent. When he sees Cape, when he's jumping on these platforms, his Cape is yeah. so fluent. It's awesome. You know, and that's it has this nice animation, but it, there's one animation that looks nice, but it's rather useless. He can turn his head around. Yeah, it was just a little, you know, just a little, you know what I mean, a little animation just to show off the compatibility of the engine that yeah you know, that was that was pro what it was programmed in at the time, you know. But nah, this game is awesome, man. I, I recommend this game to anyone who's a Batman fan, you know, especially the old Batmans. So yeah. This is definitely on top of the list, for sure. Do you prefer this or the original uh, Batman game? Uh, I actually prefer... Original this, uh, I prefer Return of the Joker, actually. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, this thing, like, every, every time you even pass a level, you get to see a little animation, you know, of something erupting or coming at you, and then you go into the next level. Look, that's awesome, man. That's, that's yeah. SNES grade right there. That's SNES grade. To be honest, so yeah, this guy, like, these guys did a remarkable uh, job, man, for sure. Yeah, I liked how uh, Batman, the way he looks, um, is a exact. He's just the medium size isn't as small like in some games. If you remember, yeah, that's right, yeah, uh, the even the sprite seen, size is on point, very on point. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever seen the uh, Superman game for the NES? He looks like um, basically a dwarf, really. A dwarf, all the characters yeah. there. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, he's interacting with all these other characters that yeah. uh, normal civilians going to work. They ask him, yeah, that they're about uh, if he knows anything about the stock market crash, and uh, yeah. and you just wonder what the why should Superman care if the stock market crash? He's Superman. He's not a lawyer. Uh, <laughs> but just just telling you about how poor the gameplay and graphics were from that game competitors because this. You've got a medium-sized sprite of Batman that looks um, looks like Batman, mm. looks like a man, not a kid, unlike Superman for the NES. Yeah. And the graphics look decent. Um, yeah, the music and is awesome the too, man. The music is kick-ass, man. The sound yeah. and the music is kick-ass too. If you look at the stage uh, clear cutscene, it looks like uh, the movie. Hmm, that's right. With him holding yeah. his out. Yeah, so basically they were cashing on the movie. But they probably made uh, an even better game from the original movie license game. Mm. Mm. Nice. Yeah, man. Unfortunately, I can't say the same for the uh, the Sega Mega Drive version, which drove me nuts that game. Hey, David, don't even talk about it. It's crap. <laughs> Joke. <laughs> no, no, I actually agree with you. 
It's crap. We know it's crap. Yeah, it's. Yeah, they should be ashamed of themselves. Let's bring them onto the show. Because <laughs> I know Sunsoft uh, did both games on the NES, and they also yeah. did. Um, they also did uh, the Mega Drive version of the '89 license game. Mm. Uh, I, don't, I wonder if they did uh, the Return of the Joker uh, Sega game as well. Mm. That would be rather interesting if they did. But yeah, look, um, yeah, it's just interesting to how Batman games tend to be better off compared to, say, Superman. Mm. Isn't it? And just uh, seems seem to be a lot more. Um, just, just a lot more appealing to play. Yeah. And uh, that's one of them. The only, the only strange uh, mechanism about uh, that whole re Return of the Joker game is that he's armed with a gun. Yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> uh, you could say it's a gun or something, but it's not like he's What's got a, a handgun or something like that. It's, it's, it's attached to his arm. Right? It's attached to his arm. It's like a little ray blaster or something with different power-ups and yeah. so forth. Exactly right. Yeah. How do you rate the controls? Uh, very, very smooth. Very smooth. Very smooth. Very smooth. Yeah. In the Sega Mega Drive version, it's anything but smooth, I'll tell you that. <laughs> that's enough of that game, though. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, man. But, um, yeah. Awesome game, man. I, I recommend this game to anybody who's a diehard fan of uh, Batman or Batman series in general, man. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so, my next game. For the Super Nintendo is Star Fox. Have you played this game before, David? No, but I have. I uh, remember watching uh, its uh, development on High Score, the documentary. Oh, right. Yep, yep. And how um, went to Nintendo mm. in Japan, uh, Nintendo's headquarters in Japan, were able That's to right. build, make a character, a 3D character model, and uh, Nintendo were happy to work together. Uh, with these developers to pull it off for mm -hmm. the game to end up becoming Star Fox. Yeah. That's right. When um, did you first play this game? When did, I, when did I first play this game? I've seen it around, but I emulated it on my PC back in the day, and that's how I played it. Oh, yeah. But I always saw it around. Uh, I, never, I never got the chance to play it on the original hardware, but I've always played it yep. through emulation. And I found it pretty cool, like seeing polygons, you know, fully 3D polygons, and you're flying a ship, and it's just fully 3D, like with the polygons and stuff like that. Um, of course, it's probably not fully, it's not a full 3D flight sim, but it's 3D. But it's got polygons in there. Yeah. So which makes it an illusion of a 3D game. But I'll have to say, this pretty much pushed the limits of the SNES. Because they had to add, they had to add like I was saying, on my first game, Pitfall 2, um, they had to add additional hardware to make the game run on the SNES, which was the Super, Gra Super FX graphics chip, which yep. was only accessible through the cartridge. So when... Now, yeah. Sorry, before you go on, was that... Was Star Fox the game? Was that where the, those, those developers... I think it was Dylan Cuthbert. I think that's his name. Uh, Dylan who? The, the Dylan Cuthbert. Okay. Um, well, well, anyway, was, he, was this the game where they experimented uh, making 3D you know, with the use of a Game Boy? No, you got it wrong. Sorry. Um, 
It was actually um, the game you're, I think you're talking about. Um, it's called uh, Pilot Wings for the SNES. Oh, okay, right. Yeah, yeah. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, Pilot Wings. Yeah. yeah now this is um, yeah, this is a, is it a, this is a Nintendo official game. Oh, okay. Yeah. And they added uh, the super graphics chip. They're probably one of the first ones to add it onto the um, for the SNES because this game came out in 1993. Um, right. And so as I was saying before, with the Pitfall 2, they added additional hardware to make it to make it run on the SNES. Um, yeah. So they added the super graphics um, graphics chip on the on the cartridge, and yep. when the SNES read it, it synced it with the hardware. And that's how it ran. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, okay, yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. Also, they made, uh, later on, um, when Doom was ported to the SNES, they did the same thing. They added the Super Graphics FX chip because the Super Nintendo couldn't handle on its own running a three-dimensional game like Doom. Right. So the developer had to cut it down Add the graphics, the super graph, graphics FX chip uh, to make it run on the SNES, but still it was very, it was pretty horrible, man. The the frame rate was just very shit house. Um, but yeah, I wonder how many hours. Yeah, I wonder how many development hours they must have committed to pull off. There was one guy. It was only one guy that did it. That ported it to the SNES. Wow. Um, yeah, he actually used a Mega. And did it from scratch. Compiled all assets into the Mega right. and compiled it back onto the SNES. Little fun fact. Yep. Um, oh. But yeah. But yeah, man, Star Fox, yeah, that, uh, to me, um, you know, it's pretty intubated, man. Let's see a, a flight sim, a fully, not, not fully, but a, a good 3D dimensional flight sim for the SNES. You know, seeing it in 3D, you know, um, seeing polygons and stuff like that in its early stages. Because this did come out in 1993. Um, but yeah, man, seeing it on a on a hardware piece at home is pretty awesome, man. For the time, anyway. So. I wonder if that's already on uh, Nintendo Switch Online. Yeah, I think, I think it, it is. is huh? I think it is, yeah. yeah. I think it is, yeah. I think it is, yeah. And I wonder, I just wonder how how uh, smooth it runs on that service. No, it runs smooth. It runs I smooth, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it runs smooth because it's more it's more than capable the switch. So you know, but yeah, man. Um, Star Fox sixty four. I highly recommend this game. It's an awesome game. And uh, yeah, man, for anyone who likes flight sims, check it out. Cool. All right, so my next game is Medal of Honor for the PS1. Now, David, you used to have this <laughs> game, correct? I did, yeah, a long time ago now. Just, uh, yeah, that's actually probably uh, that and probably Deus Ex Human Revolution, my two favorite uh, first-person shooter games. First-person shooters, yeah. Yep. Now, when I was a little lad, when I had the PS1, I remember hiring, hiring this for my local video store and taking it home and popping it in for the very first time and seeing cutscenes from documentaries from the World War II era and being fascinated. Yep. Like, oh, this is awesome. 
stealing some little history here. And um, and then getting ducked into your first mission. And then playing it for the very first time. Blew my mind, man. I couldn't believe how fluent animations were. I couldn't believe how good the graphics were. I couldn't believe how good the soundtrack was. Even the sound effects. Hearing the ambient noises in the background. It blew my mind, man. For that time. 1999. Yeah, awesome. the sound design was pretty good, but also uh, the composer was a Hollywood composer called Michael Giacchino. That's right. Uh, he did the music for TV shows like Alias and Lost, even some of our Hollywood movies. He actually normally collaborates with J.J. Avery, last time I heard. Mm. There you go. And I think he also, I think he may have done the recent Star Wars as well, but yeah, uh, they actually got some, yeah, uh, Hollywood royalty here. Being Steven Spielberg, as we talked about. Um, yeah, I just remember what I loved about that game is if you take control of the, uh, the machine gun cannon, the turrets, the turrets, yeah, machine oh, gun, that's yeah. It, yeah. Tarrants, yeah. yeah, yeah, that was awesome, man. The sound effects God. from that was freaking unbelievable, man. How clear it was, the sound effects from that turret gun. It was very powerful, man. Like, because I remember my parents had a home theater system. And every time they used to go out, I used to blast it. And just hearing the gunshots coming out of that, fuck, man, that was insane. <laughs> it was definitely, yeah, uh, they definitely imported uh, the firing of a real gun into the game. And just the, the yeah, poly yeah. effects were all spot on. Yeah. Yeah, they, they uh, put, man, they, they worked their ass off with this game, I'm telling you right now. And I'll, think, I'm tell you, I'll tell you this much, this is why pushed the limit. The limits of the PS1 for sure, without yeah. a doubt. And not seeing any lag whatsoever. I didn't, I didn't encounter one lag moment in Metal Runner. No, I think the enemies uh, really here. Even that the enemies, enemy, even the enemy AI was spot on. Yeah. I heard that. Yeah, enemies are struck up with up to 250 polygons. So that's the level of detail that they really committed to. Yeah. And. Uh, Oh, interesting, it just, uh, there was actually thought that the uh, enemy death scenes were supposed to be a lot more gruesome and bloody, but they had to uh, remove them after the uh, 1999 Columbine High School Massacre. Yeah, man, um, this, this even like attention to detail with, with the voices as well, the enemy, the yeah. enemy AI's voices was freaking unbelievable man um like when you're playing undercover missions and that and when <laughs> you get approached by the, the you know, the, you know the, the soldiers and they go what unit are you from and you show them the your little passport <laughs> and they go sorry sir <laughs> and they go you're jenny patterson you're jenny patterson you're jenny patterson you're jenny patterson look that is a little bit cheesy you, you you gotta admit, but yeah, nah, that takes me it was, back. It was cool, man. It was cool. It was um, cool, yeah. A little bit cheesy with the, the delivery, but yeah. Even like, definitely. like even um, where they caught you and they go, alarm! And they're just running around <laughs> trying to find the nearest uh, alarm to raise it. Yeah. <laughs> then you gotta shoot them. <laughs> awesome. Oh, man. Like, even uh, the, even yeah. the, the fucking music, man. I love the music, man. It, it, it this... It really lightened the game up, you know. It felt like you're you're in that 
environment. That's how awesome it was. Yeah. And well, Michael Giacchino made yeah. it sound really good. Did an awesome yeah. job, I mean, man. A very awesome job. Of course. Yeah. I also love using the, um, the sniper. Sniper rifles, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, not sniper. 9mm uh, silencers. Oh, the silencers, yeah. I remember <laughs> I, actually, I, I remember <laughs> I killed three, no, a dozen enemies just with that gun alone. Especially yeah. in the head. Mm. Shoot, I mean, yeah. Even the death animations were freaking awesome, man. Like, you shoot them in the leg, they hop on one foot, and then they just shake it off in the shit. Yeah, it's one of those games. <laughs> it's definitely one of those games where uh, they added, uh, they put an effort into adding some realism. Or they're just hopping, or they're just uh, in severely injured while lying on the floor, but they're still shooting from yeah. the ground. That's right. Low, yeah. Yeah. Um, even like when you shoot them in the chest, they, they, they fall down and they're trying to breathe yeah. and then they get back up again. That That's awesome, man. Because there was no other PS1 game like it at the time. Like, you couldn't compare with any other PS1 game. Like, you couldn't even compare with Goldeneye. I don't think Goldeneye animation was that fluid from memory. So, the guys are showing, no, man. I mean, they, they really worked their asses off. They really worked their asses off. Wasn't there a three year difference? Between Goldeneye 64 yeah, and yeah, yeah, Middle of yeah. Nah, yeah, yeah. But the PS1 wasn't that because powerful, man. At, it wasn't that powerful. Yeah. Like, the hardware wasn't that powerful, man, but they made I mean, it if you look at, If you look at how Goldeneye 64 was first released, it definitely mm. looks primitive nowadays. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Like, this, if we're just talking about the console, the PS1 console, it wasn't that powerful. The hardware wasn't that powerful. It was only 32-bit. No. You know, the the, the 64 was 64-bit, so it still had a lot of leeway, you know. Yeah. You know, for their games and that. But um, yeah, man, these these developers, man, um, Electronic Arts, Electronic Arts, they really, really made it work. You know, they, they, they worked their ass off, man, and they produced probably one of the best first-person shooters of all time for the PS1. Yeah, definitely one of my favorite. Um, yeah, it's definitely a sort of game where you're glad that Player's uh, Destination decided to go for a CD-ROM uh, system as opposed to sticking with the cartridge. Because if you remember, Sony and Nintendo, they were working together once and collaborating right. yeah, exactly. uh, with the yeah. console. They called it PlayStation, but uh, there was a bit of issues behind the scenes where yeah. Uh, Nintendo was very conservative. They still wanted. They were control freaks, world, man. They, they were control freaks in the day. That yeah. was that is one of the world's best in their interests. And they said, "All right, stuff is. We'll release our own console." And that's what they did, and they released the PS One. There was lots of suspicions that Sony was also suspicious about Nintendo weren't really serious about starting collaboration with them. That was really just a, uh, more more or less spoof. just for sure. Probably just yeah, spoof. Probably I. Yeah, I, maybe it was just to maintain, that was a sneaky yeah. way of maintaining the uh, control of the market. But so he said, right. you know what, let's go out. Because that, that is, uh, that, that, all that wanted to do is just blow out, blow Sega, the Sega Mega Drive out the water, you know, with the brand new product or the brand new attachment for the SNES. But, you know, they just saw yeah. differences in between the process. Like I was saying before, Nintendo's were control freaks. They are control freaks, man. Look what they do. You know, I mean, you, you're seeing that now, what yeah. they're doing now with their stuff. Um, but yeah, man, like, play, uh, Sony, well, you know, the, the, the company, IP, yeah. the, the company itself was saying, hey, look, stuff is, 
we will release our own console, and that's what they did. In 1994, they released PS1, so... Yeah. And again, and that's when... Yeah, that's when uh, PS1 was successful when it came to uh, distributing CD-ROMs, because that's when you get the benefit of having those cutscenes. Yeah. If Medal of Honor was released on uh, N64, we'd be missing out on those cutscenes of the oh, yeah, real... Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was oh, enough storage space on the cartridge to release FPV videos yeah. and stuff like that. And the narration as well. And That's right, yeah. Probably would get some, it probably would still get uh, the uh, voice clips and, uh, and, and the sound effects uh, yeah. that sound uh, cinema quality, but all that footage would have been lost. It yeah, wouldn't have been able to represent the cartridge That's system. Right. That's right. Yeah, man, um, I definitely recommend this game. Definitely recommend it for the PS1. Who, well, in general, everyone who's who is a fan of the first-person shooter, definitely check this game out. You will not be disappointed. And that's it for me, man. Yeah, awesome. All right. Now, what I'm going to talk about now is strictly focused on 64-bit eras. Um, there's, a, there's a bit of... A, bit of innovation going on with in regards to 3d effects mm-hmm. um what i want to talk about now this up is donkey kong country i played this say, again did you say 64 bit <laughs> i would say 16 bit oh uh, 16 bit <laughs> that's all right let's say 64 <laughs> all right i stand correct 16 bit <laughs> all right yeah all good man all good <laughs> all right. yeah uh yeah yeah excuse me for my mind just uh Playing tricks on uh, the words I want to say. No, it's 16, 16 bit. Uh, right, yeah, um, David, look, uh, David, before you start, you're fired. <laughs> Joking. Thank you. Thank you. All good, man. All good. All right, cool. All right. <laughs> right. One classic game that I'm sure a lot of uh, Nintendo fans uh, would agree with me that Donkey Kong Country is really innovative in regards to using a pre rendered 3D graphics. That's right. It just came out in 1994. Yeah, mm-hmm. bit of a history about that. Uh, the reason why this game I- even existed was because uh, Nintendo wanted to uh, have their own answer to Sega's uh, very successful Aladdin game uh, that was released on the Mega Drive yep. a year before. Because Aladdin was uh, a game that was uh, working with the, the developed it together with the Disney animators. And uh, all the graphics was uh, hand-drawn, frame-by-frame animation, mm-hmm. which was uh, made a, a pretty good impression at the time. Because if you remember, if you ever played Aladdin, uh, it was a, a game where it looked like it was straight from the movie, just for how uh, accurate the animation was, or the graphics were accurate compared to the movie animation, and it was pretty successful. And uh, Nintendo saw that that success. And they thought, we really got to find a, a way to come up with something innovative that can compare to that. And uh, that's when they already purchased the gaming company Rare. And uh, they also worked together with uh, investing in silicon graphics uh, to render 3D models. And uh, at the time, there was uh, game companies weren't really eager to work with uh, silicon graphics, despite how good they were. Uh, because of the fact they came with a pretty expensive price tag of seventy-five thousand dollars per system, but since, like I said, Rare was did you say, uh, already. Did you say seventy-five thousand? Yeah. Wow. 
I heard something about that. Yeah, the Silicon Graphics Station was... Yeah, they were expensive. Because right, that was yeah. also used on the N64 as well. Development over 64, they used the Silicon Graphics as well, so, yeah. Yep. Yeah, not, not cheap. But uh, Rare was already purchased by Nintendo mm -hmm. at the time. That's right. And they, I think Nintendo owned about 49% of uh, that company, so they were given backing to invest enough time and money into work with Silicon Graphics to uh, create these character models. Um, and uh, at the time, what they did was that uh, they created uh, uh, the character models uh, based on with, with Silicon Graphics as 3D models, first, just with, uh, uh, with the textures, added the textures with the characters. And uh, that's when the trouble began with trying to compress all that into uh, the 16-bit game and to make it the specifications. Now, as uh, you probably are aware, 16-bit games, uh, background assets had to be divided into tiles. That's right. And uh, one of the challenges they made, because they not only made the characters in three models, but also the background assets had to have uh, a lot of uh, 3D elements as well. And the only way to pull that off, to convert that and compress that into 16-bit uh, cartridge was to downscale the actual models of uh, all the assets of the characters and by doing that they had to reduce the number of colors in order to render uh, render into the system. It was a hard work, um, they actually uh, spent a lot of more development hours overnight where character models had to be rendered onto the console for hours on end even overnight. They made it work uh, in, in regards to just uh, um, put on the, the manpower and uh, with the amount of money and backing that they were able to make this beautiful, beautifully crafted game uh, that even holds up. And their marketing campaign to get back at Sega's uh, Genesis Dome and advertising in the year before was the focus that you won't find this on Sega, you won't find this on other other consoles either. And uh, when it was first introduced, uh, people actually confused this as a next-gen game. That's how it, um, game changing the graphics were at the time and uh, no yeah just uh, playing the game uh, even last night uh, one of the as funny as it is it can definitely be a ball breaker trying to get through oh yeah one obstacle. Uh, it's got it's got its typical moments but I would say I wouldn't say it's very hard but it's got its typical moments right yeah you just need to be patient that's the problem oh, patient that's that. right yeah patient plays a long way yeah. yep and you just need to it's again it's one of those games where it requires a little bit of uh, muscle memory patience yeah. and uh and just knowing uh, on how to dash and run to extend yeah, the, the height right. of your jump uh truth be told i actually didn't really realize that you had the, the ability to accelerate your jumping until last night <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but finally, I can definitely say that I was able to get past that mine uh, level. The mine level, with the yeah. Cart, riding yeah, on the, with cart, the cart, finally yeah. for the first time ever. Yeah. yeah. Ball breaker, but mm. finally did it. Uh, no, but uh, just uh, it definitely goes to show because uh, this game revitalized as you know Donkey Kong as uh, a gaming mascot brand. Mm -hmm. uh, that really uh, added value to Nintendo's library. Oh yeah, it's, it's one of the best-selling games of all time. 
on the SNES. So one of the best-selling exactly, yeah. games, anyway. So, oh, not of all time, but some of the best-selling games for the system. So, along with Super Mario Brothers, uh, Super Mario World, and yeah, yeah. Uh, Legend of Zelda: Link to the Past. So, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely iconic. I mean, oh, yeah, of course. It's definitely yeah. an iconic game yeah, for that system. Yeah. Um, and before that, I think Donkey Kong didn't really have another game uh, for about a decade. The last game came out in the 80s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you had Donkey Kong, um, which was basically um, where, you played as Super, where you played as Mario and you had That's to right. save his girlfriend. And you have to jump yeah. on these and different Kong platforms to get up to your girlfriend. Then, he, then Donkey Kong is to grab her and take it to the next level. Uh, yeah, th- th- uh, yeah, it was only yeah. that, and then the yeah, yeah. Donkey Kong Country, and that was it. Yeah, but you got that. You can actually, yeah. you can actually play as Donkey Kong on Super Mario Kart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, no, just yeah. Uh, definitely with, um, <laughs> yeah, just definitely with. Um, with that game, just uh, one of the um, aspects of it was the sound. It had that. Um, it definitely took advantage of the Super Nintendo's impressive sound. Oh yeah, sound. Yeah, yeah, the sound chip was yeah very good. Yeah, the sound, yeah, more, music and sound, yeah, it was good too. Yeah, yeah, oh, it definitely yeah. sounded yeah. a lot more, even more impressive and uh, even uh, how do you say modern? I wouldn't say modern. Modern's not really the right. You can you can say you can say, you can say the sound font they used was very uh, modern. For a console, yeah, from that time period, well, yeah. It's it's definitely, yeah. It, it definitely had a lot of bass, put it that way. Yeah. Now I read that the sound, audio, and sound actually took about three megabytes, uh, nearly twice the size, or nearly the size of the original Sonic the Hedgehog. Mm. So that that says a lot with the amount of uh, time and effort that they invest in the graphics. Um, and also the uh, um, quality, the audio quality that improved into the game. I gotta say, one of the frustrating moments of uh, Donkey Kong, though, is going through that, those barrels, some of those levels. Oh, yeah. You know which one? Um, the ones that, that rotate. That's right, yeah. 360, and then he, yep. and it fires off, and then you go into another barrel, and it's going up and down, and then you got these bees, exactly. these bumblebees going up and down, you have to try and dodge them, and that used to frustrate me, man. But you just That's have right. to get used to the pattern. It's all about pattern work. Once you get used to the pattern work, it's it's pretty straightforward. Exactly so, right. Yeah. yeah. But if you're smart, you can even rebound off one of those animals, and you'll jump up to the uh, nearest platform as safely as possible. Mm. Um, yeah, they, they took a fair amount of work. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. It's interesting it, with that game is that uh, the amount of um, on-screen details is limited, so it's only got the bananas that collects that you collect, as well as uh, uh, how many lives you got, which only appears once you die. Um, uh, look, um, yeah, fun game. Um, it, it definitely it probably have to thank uh, Sega's uh, version of Aladdin, though, because it really uh, inspired Nintendo. All right, we got it think of a new, a new uh, ways to innovate here because we don't want to lose to our market shit the Sega so it really did yeah, that's right. uh, they really delivered with, uh, uh, with uh, the use of pre-rendered 3D graphics that which was, uh, which was amazing for its time yeah um, 
yeah, uh, moving on now. Um, just going to be talking about Toy Story. Now, have you ever played Toy Story on the Sega Mega Drive or Super Nintendo? Um, the first time I played it was on on the original Game Boy. Um, okay, original Game Boy. Yeah. I found it pretty cool uh, for the time. Yep. I was a fan of Toy Story when it did, when it did come out. I was, I was a fan of that movie. Um, and then first time playing on the retro game it was pretty cool um but i think it's i didn't get a chance to see it uh, until when i had it on my pc there was a port it was actually right. ported to the pc and i played it on the pc and then i remember um my next door neighbor had a copy for the snes and that's when i played it for the snes and uh as well i said oh i got this game uh, it's on my pc and i'm like oh cool so I got this game, let's play, I'm like, alright, cool. So we're playing that, and um, yeah, man, it's pretty cool, man. Um, the graphics were pretty pretty up there, and the pre-rendered graphics were, yeah, pretty phenomenal for the for the console at the time. Done, done, yeah. Yeah. But well, um, from my understanding, you're talking about the... Made that yeah. game. Yep. What was that, sorry? Yeah, so for the time, uh, yeah, so you played only the Game Boy version, is that right? Yeah, that's the first time I played it, yeah. I remember okay, this cool. kid at school had it, and I played it on there, and then I remember... Um, I remember I borrowed it off somebody, and I started playing it on my Game Boy, and yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah it's, uh, uh, that's my story. The fact yeah. that they were able to replicate it on the Game Boy sounds pretty impressive enough. Have you ever seen the Game Boy uh, version? No, but um, I remember playing uh, the game adaptation. I've, I've only seen probably a screenshot of it. Of, a Game Boy, um, of the Game Boy version. Uh, but the fact that they were able to pull that off. Fun fact. Boy, fun fact. No, but um. Hey, David. A little fun fact. I've got the cart. Yep. Yeah. I've actually got the cart yep. for the Game Boy sitting in there. We've got so. the cart for the day. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> fun fact. Very good. <laughs> well, we're talking about the game. I remember I played. Um, I remember I played uh, Toy Story, the Sega Mega Drive version of the game. Mm -hmm. I think it was around. Yeah. 96? 96 or 97. 96, yeah. Uh, rented it from the... Oh, rented it, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, didn't, didn't, you, didn't, you love those times? Didn't, didn't you love those times when you just go to the video store and yeah. play games? That's and, right, uh, yeah. you know, I remember yeah. when I used to rent games, I was like, cool, man. This is awesome. Like, or even movies. Or yeah, 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 yeah. Not yeah, like yeah, yeah, TV, yeah. TV shows yeah. weren't really available. Yeah. But I remember the, the older games that came yeah. out, you can rent them for a week and have them for a week. And, <laughs> you know, I remember yeah. they were like, well, that's three right. bucks, three bucks for a week, three, four bucks. Like, that's pretty cool, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you got the whole library there, you just pick up any that's game, where... you know what I mean? The game that was available there, and it's freaking awesome, you know? So, yeah. No, I'm so cut you off, though, man. But that's yeah, right. I just love those memories, man. Love them. Good times. Yeah, uh, I hear you. I definitely hear you. That's where, yeah, uh, I used to go there all the time to borrow some games myself, like Michael Jackson's Moonwalker. Which one did you uh, go to? Which video store did you go to? If you don't want me asking. It was just nearby, nearby the shopping center across the road from here. Video Busters. Oh, Video Busters. That's where I used to go. Yeah. There you go. So, yeah. funny, funny enough, we didn't bump into each other. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I used to read my, my NES games from there back in 90, 97. Yeah. 
96. To be 97. fair, to be fair, I was the type of kid who liked to keep to myself back then. <laughs> All right, get out of here, man. Get, get out of here. Get out. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> Joke. Ah, good. Got no time for this type of yeah. thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As I was saying, so I rented uh, Toy Story on yeah. Video Busters back in 6 or 97. Yeah, 96. Um, yeah, and that was... Uh, that really blew me away with uh, the fact that they used pre-rendered graphics and replicated that on the Sega Mega Drive. Yeah. Um, and it looked straight from the movie itself, from Woody's design, Buzz Lightyear, the texture was all great. Yep. Now, from what I heard about the story from the development was that Pixar, the same uh, animation studio that made Toy Story, they actually were working uh, together with Traveler's Tales, the game uh, public company that developed Toy Story the game. They were even showing uh, animation of the characters. But what happened was, uh, from what I heard, that they uh, had to create their own animations of Woody itself and not some of the characters because uh, uh, Pixar was uh, taking too long to actually finish the movie. But they, was actually, they were actually working together while the movie was getting made. Now, uh, one of the problems that uh, Traveler's Tales uh, had to uh, uh, overcome one of the challenges. One of the issues that they had the problem solved was they wanted to use the uh, screenshots from the movie, but make just uh, make it as high quality as possible. The problem was that uh, the Sega Mega Drive uh, had a limited uh, number of uh, colors. They could only use about 64 colors out of 50, 512 possible colors, yeah. but. What they did was they circumvent all of that by using a special mode to highlight and to increase the highlight and shadows of the colors. So what they did was they uh, collected a range of colors and they uh, used arithmetic to mathematically divide the original colors uh, to increase the, uh, the highlighting and the yep. shadows and just uh, divided them uh, from two to, to create, I think it was for... Um, the shadows and then uh, to highlight them just uh, divided by two but uh, increased it by two pixels or whatever to change the contrast and then what they what they did was they actually created two uh, four different palettes to sort of mask each other to recreate the screenshot into the game um, so what they did was that they uh, created just a fair bit of black mask or black masks rather across four palettes uh, and added just the right amount of colors that they wanted on top of each other to recreate the, the uh, film perfect screenshot for the Martin. So they had about uh, one palette for the shadow, another palette for the highlights, and then I believe it was uh, the other two was just to make up for. Uh, the rest of the colors and from that that's when they recreated the uh, imagery of the game there you go what was interesting about that game at the time was that there was this one level um, where woody is inside of a vending machine and he has to collect all the alien space wizards and put, drop him into the chute that was actually done in a that was a first person level completely done all oh, right yeah i remember that yeah i remember that actually yeah yeah, yeah. Stage, you, walk, yeah. you have to walk around and walk around and find the uh, wall changes yeah. around and all that. Yeah. So what happened was that um, 
it, what happened was that uh, they created just uh, one image that would sort of scale and change perspective um, in order to uh, draw the asset. Uh, so they're using just vector sprite assets to uh, pull pull up that effect. Problem is that they had a hard time working with the hardware uh, that was wasn't necessarily compatible with making uh, first-person levels. But they were able to get around that with some uh, creative programming to do that. They wrote a bit of code and then they loop it and uh, they were able to change around the uh, dimensions of the room according to where the, the player is moving. But in order to do that, they actually had to use, uh, use a bit of maths to calculate the clock speed of the system. So it was about 768 megahertz, I believe it was running. They had to uh, calculate that into different cycles. So from 7.68 megahertz, they had to calculate it as in 768,000 cycles. Yeah. And then from then they were able to change uh, and redraw the vector stripes and uh, to change the dimensions of uh, the whole room around. And what's funny about that level is that they use the same door opening sound effect from Doom. <laughs> So, oh, that's right, yeah, 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 that's right, yeah. Yeah. You're bringing it all so, back, man. No, it's good. Nah, no, um, yeah. So I believe that the sprite of the actual vector image to create the, um, to create the wall, it took about 256 strips that they had calculated in pixels. And, uh, yeah, and to continue uh, calculating according to the clock speed of the system. So it was a very technical in order to do that, but it looks great. You know, it still oh, yeah. looks good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, um, so I don't think because correct me if I remind me, Doom was released there in Super Nintendo, right? But yeah. not on the Sega Mega, was it? It was. So I know that the 30, it was a Sega CD that had 32x. 32x. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So Sega Mega Drive wasn't powerful to run that. Doom on their system. Yeah. The, the pre-rendered graphics with the Mega Drive wasn't even powerful enough for Doom until when they released yeah, the 32X, well, which had their extra hardware compatibility to do it. Not for the Super Nintendo. Well, it just so. makes it just makes that particular level uh, on Toy Story even more impressive. Mm. And even the, the 3D uh, animation of the yeah, 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 you, you would have seen you would have seen you would have seen a color palette difference because the color palette yeah. of the Mega Drive is more. Um, Maria, then the SNES. A muted button, maybe. Sorry? What was, oh, sorry, what was that? Yeah. Uh, I said yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Maria yeah. and muted. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 That's right. Uh, unless it's games like uh, Sonic, which was uh, really. Um, really vibrant uh, some games are just uh, uh, definitely downscaled in terms of uh, graphics but yeah yeah um, so that's uh, the problem with uh, the Mega Drive console with uh, just uh, if trying to make up with uh, the game speed for its uh, inferior hardware spec wasn't it mm. that's right but they're able to take advantage of the system's uh, clock speed in order to recreate the when you play ports on other consoles like the SNES for example which is probably an early alternative um, I always I always went back to the Super Nintendo 
Yeah. Like when I saw, I've played um, Toy Story on the, on the Mega Drive, and when I play on Super Nintendo, it's just a lot more practical just because of the graphics. Yes. Um, like I said, the SNES is more powerful than the, than the Mega Drive, obviously, in hindsight. Uh, yeah. But I'm not dissing this Mega Drive. Mega Drive's got some awesome games too, man. You know, like I said, but when it comes down to, to graphics um, and quality, yeah. you know, it's Super Nintendo hands down. So, um, probably all the Mega Drive hard, dollar hard fans will like going like, nah, 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 you can't say that. <laughs> well, in hindsight, <laughs> the Super Nintendo is... I would be one of those... The more powerful... Is yeah, good. is the more powerful uh, console. So. Yeah. In terms of graphics and sound, and uh, Matt, the Mega Drive had its charm. So I know that, good, yeah, yeah, exactly. I know that um, the developers uh, for Gull, Gull, uh, Traveler's Tales uh, they had to play around with sound chips in order to uh, fiddle around with the one audio channel that the uh, console had in order to improve the sound quality and audio quality in the game. Yeah, and right. uh, I believe that um, the same thing would have happened to the Sega Mega Drive version of the Adventures of Batman and Robin, mm. which had amazing uh, music uh, for any for the console, mm. in, for any for just about any game in that console because it it, it, it was borderline techno in a way. Yeah, if you remember? Oh, I, I played it once. Didn't like it, man. I, I prefer the one on the SNES. <laughs> That's the Fair enough. Yeah, that's the is great. Well, but yeah. If, yeah, if you can, just have a listen to the the, the music on the Mega yeah. Drive alone. Don't play the game, but just have a listen to the, music, yeah. the tracks, the the yeah. music uh, level tracks, and mm. by itself, you'd be surprised at what Just the Kid did on that on uh, on that uh, on that game. Just the Kid being that he was uh, the one who worked on Assassin's Creed and has the other games. Um, yeah, Twist really the Metal? Twist the Metal? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, I've seen him. I've actually, yeah. I don't know, I forgot the guy's name, but I've actually seen him. Uh, he was actually interviewing John Romero for his uh, podcast. Yeah. Pretty okay, cool. yeah. He's a pretty awesome guy, man. Pretty old. He's pretty cool. cool. Didn't, know he did Batman. About... Didn't know he did Batman, actually, for the Mega Drive. Yeah, well, he did that game. Yeah, it sounded Batman great. Batman Robin, yeah. Um, and what's interesting about that game, because... Uh, if you go on the YouTube channel, Coding Secrets, um, the guy the guy who uh, uh, runs that channel, I believe he, his name is John Burt. I'm not 100% sure, but he was uh, responsible for, I think he was a lead uh, designer for Traveler's Tales. So he talks about uh, Toy Story extensively and yeah. how he was able to pull off the amazing sound effects, uh, or go. not just sound effects, but the animation effects for that game. And uh, uh, he even mentioned that uh, back in those days, um, uh, 16-bit uh, developers didn't have toolkits to work with, so they they had to create their own um, little editor to uh, test the sprites uh, and uh, the looping of ca uh, character sprites in the game. Yeah. And um, yeah, just uh, talked about uh, with the uh, changing just. Uh, just the, the bit of movement and looping and all that, and making sure that uh, uh, the game, well, the, some of the animations were rather uh, random without being too predictable. Yeah. No, but uh, even mentioned 
change just uh, changing the perspective of the floor because in Toy Story, as you're walking and scrolling along, the dimension of the floor changes as if that you're being it's giving you motion movement. Well, mm. That's right. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What happened? What what they really do? What they're doing is that um, they're um, actually coded it where the uh, uh, floor asset changes its uh, perspective to make it skew as you walk along. Mm. There's no different uh, to just uh, opening up Photoshop and uh, uh, stretching and uh, skewing the asset across. Uh, and uh, it's the same technique that uh, the Mega Drive version of the Adventures of Batman and Robin did with the floor animations and the mm. foreground animations. And uh, yeah, and uh, the fact that it happened in the same year, 1995, it just makes me wish that we could have seen more of those type of games before that 16-bit era life cycle came to an end. Oh yeah, of course. Um, you know, this goes down to boils down to people that worked on the game. And what they don't want to pursue afterwards is because yeah. they probably had other op- job opportunities with other gaming companies and working on the latest tech. So yeah, exactly. it's all that innovation. But, you know, that was probably um, towards the end of its life cycle anyway, the Mega Drive. Because this discontinued yeah, after exactly right 96. You had, the, you had the Nintendo 64, PS1, that just came out. And like yep. you were saying before, you know, you, you're spoiled with 16-bit and it was all about innovation and, yep. um, yeah, good graphics, so, you know, and good tech. And then that's when, with uh, the success, yeah, success of Toy Story and Donkey yep. Kong, yep. that's when uh, Vector Man um, was one of the last games that came on the Mega Drive. Mm. Um, never saw this game that came out oh, yeah, was that released? Uh, in Australia. 95. 95, okay, cool. Never yeah. played it though. And then they made a Vector Man 2. Yeah. Vector Man 2. They made yeah, a Vector yeah. Man 2, but that came out in 96. So that was definitely one of the last games. Yeah, yep. yeah. Uh, Vector Man was basically just uh, a sci fi action game, running gun type game where the whole um, story of the game is that the world has become uh, a wasteland. Uh, people have emigrated to other planets in the uh, universe and left behind uh, robots. They're called Orbots to clean up the nuclear uh, waste that was left behind on Earth. And then there was this one robot uh, who has gone rogue, who has attached a warhead on its body and is threatened to kill anyone who uh, attempts to come back to Earth. And then that's when you play Vector Man, who's come to save the, the the world or what's left with it again it's a, another game with uh, uh that uses pre-rendered 3d graphics which actually came out apparently a week after the ps1 was released there you <laughs> in go, uh, north man. america in 95 yeah okay, yeah cool yeah um so i played this game during the week um yep. it was all right you can have you ever have you ever played it in the in, in your younger days did you ever see um, copies laying around back in the day? I would have probably seen it, but I probably would have just ignored it. I never oh, saw yeah. it. I never, because it's one of those games that was probably um, growing a cult following years later, like Comic Zone. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Comic Zone. Yeah. yeah, yep, yeah. 
But with the Vector Man, it's basically the character model that you control. It's just the whole body is consisting of green floating orbs. Yep. There's about a dozen of them. You just fire all these energy beams at everything. Um, uh, rumor has it that the, the game was made. Um, just double check here. Um, I'll tell you what, the, the graphics are pretty good. Yeah, for the time I was looking at it now, yeah, it looks pretty good. It was actually uh, made the... Uh, so, would you say this, this pushed the limits of the Mega Drive? Just because of the pre-rendered graphics of Vector Man? I'd say so. If you think of the character model itself, like I said, it, it's just a... It's not really a full solid body. It's just loading yeah. forward, moving along. Mm, uh, which was something that... Uh, I mean, we, we, we've seen that sort of similar animation before, but not in 3D effects. 3D effects, um, yeah. So the game itself was a response to the success of Donkey Kong Country. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. And the market and the marketing team uh, representing Donkey Kong Country saying that this type of game could never be pulled off on the Mega Drive. Mm. And uh, apparently, that legend has it that Vector Man was one attempt to prove Nintendo wrong. Well, that you know what that did. That just did. That just did that in low res. Yeah. But captured that motion block from. Uh, Kong Country and the SNES. Yeah. So, that, yeah, they did um, everything in low res. Like, the character models, it's all in low res, but we look at the foreground and the graphics and the sprites and such when you're playing the game. It, yeah, it's, it's up there. Nah, it's yeah. up there, for sure. Yeah. And you can see that some the first level has flags that are waving very yeah. fluidly. Did that, that did looks... have parallax scrolling? I'm just looking at photos, but did that have par parallax scrolling or in the background or not? Um, from memory, not that, nothing that stood up to me. Uh, I mean, I, the one level that st stood up to me was this isometric scrolling. Because what happens is in the second yeah. level, you're riding on, you're basically riding on top of a train. No, you're controlling the train. You gotta try and dart and avoid all of these uh, uh, energy balls yeah. or these plasma balls that are uh, firing against you. And, uh, as you're riding on the train track, there is this um, robot in the shape of a gorilla that is trying to claw you from behind. Is also climbing on top of the train uh, on the train track, and you have to try and avoid all of these beams that are firing uh, towards you. While at the same time, you have to sort of time your jumps to avoid his hands that are trying to crush you. The yeah. problem is that uh, it's hard to jump and fire at the same time because the energy beams are fire. Uh, flying uh, sideways and uh, upwards and downwards but uh, as you jump and move the game swings from isometric to a vertical position which makes it uncomfortable uh, but in terms of parallel uh, parallax scrolling nothing that really uh, stands up it does do a little bit of low res rotation on some assets so you just destroy some tv monitors to yeah. pick up some power-ups oh cool but uh, yeah, look, I mean, it's nothing. Uh, I mean, nothing that just has stood out as um, as a, uh, any any more innovative than what I described to you. But yeah, so just the three uh, D rendered graphics was uh, rather uh, lower res quality uh, than it could have been, but it definitely it did prove that yeah, we could also import it into. Uh, this system, if we wanted to, and with that, also with that, 
uh, with the Mega Drive that they were able to use some uh, pre-rendered uh, screenshot effects such as the opening of Sonic 3, if you remember uh, the picture of Sonic as he appears on screen. Where he's racing along, where he's racing along and, and, yeah. and, and yeah, and you could see, yeah. That's right. That was, that was a good opening, man. That was a yeah. good opener for the, for the Mega Drive. Yes, it was, yeah. Very good, very good opener, yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah. No, that's cool, man. What's um, interesting, though, um, that uh, in terms of the games, uh, that was more related, but I think Toy Story really uh, was amazing for the Mega Drive, though. The yeah. fact that they were able to look and feel on, on the film. Mm. Um, even the audio effects, they digitized the uh, voice characters for Woody and Buzz Lightyear. I mean, they weren't crisp and clear, so they were compressed. The fact that they were able to get those voices into the game was still impressive, nonetheless. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, look, uh, that really, uh, that really just wins hands down for that system, uh, which is again is a bit of a shame though going for that. Uh, in terms of licensing, that uh, probably would be impossible to play it legitimately if you wanted to though. <laughs> That's oh, yeah. why. You, like stick with ROMs. Mm -hmm. um, the other game that I also wanted to talk about briefly was Comic Zone, um, which was innovative with the use of graphics. So if you remember, you played, I'm pretty sure you played Comic Zone once. Yeah, a couple time of times, ago. yeah. I wasn't really into yeah. it, but it was pretty cool, man. Like seeing this. It's a pretty complicated. All these game. comic strips, and you can, you know, go from one comic strip Moving to the other. One comic panel and to the other, another, yeah. 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 Now, now, I remember that uh, the developer of that game, uh, well, not really the developer, he's really the concept artist. Oh, I don't think he could be a developer since he did a proof of concept. He actually made a proof of concept of that game on the Amiga to show the Sega as a pitch, saying, look, um, you, you, we are able to not only just scroll uh, across the screen like we normally do, but we can also give the illusion that we are actually moving across one comic strip to another changing panels and with that game uh, you have a choice of choosing between jumping on onto one panel of a comic strip to a, or another um and they were able to pull it off uh, surprisingly for that game but i was just uh just thinking about uh, the difficulty level just was a, it was a turn off though because there's challenge and there's just a completely uh way too hard it's just relied too much on on memorization and uh knowing how to use your assets properly because uh it, you had some assets which uh, uh had a uh, which gave you a bomb but you need to learn how to use the bomb yeah. carefully if you already use it uh against uh, another enemy um you won't be able to recuperate once you use it at that level because you might end up uh, finding an obstacle to let's say uh, 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 a fan, let's say this dangerous fan is blocking your your pathway. If you try to destroy it you know, with your with your hands or your feet, uh, you'll end up losing uh, a fair bit of energy. Because uh, think the logic behind it is that if you try to crush, destroy something with your bare hands, you're gonna get hurt. No, but um, with the actual just the innovation with. Um, able to just uh, improve, just make the use of the, the sprite animation as well as the comic strip 
uh, animation for the foregrounds and the backgrounds was uh, something pretty impressive at the time. Because okay. um, with that game, with games like that, my only criticism though is that you it had also uh, speech bubbles that you had to follow along with the story and also give you clues on how to um, uh, work your way out of uh, a certain part of the level. But everything's happening all at once, so it's making it impossible uh, to uh, figure out. I believe that the designer of the game was called Peter Moraviak. Um, he was uh, the one that came up with the for the whole game, and he also did a, uh, a demo on the Amiga as a proof of concept uh, mm. to convince Sega that this is this is how we should make this game. There you go. Now, but uh, is it got a bit though? Is it? But do you think? do you think it pushed the limits of the Mega Drive? I think. I think, technically, probably not. But what it did was it expanded their imagination. Imagination. Oh, we yeah. could actually do this yeah. on the Mega. Yeah. 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 Because you got to remember that with these, a lot of uh, game developers, they're probably thinking a lot more linear. Linear, yeah. Going something that's a lot more. Um, a lot more straightforward, simple side scrolling, a yep. little bit of button mashing and all that, but probably focused on improving graphics. I know with Toy Story and like we talked about before, it definitely improved the graphics and circumvent the hard limitation of the hardware to get the those three uh, D effects to work. With here, it seems to, it seems that they were able to think of innovative ways to make use of uh, the hardware that they got. Uh, but uh, know how to just uh, basically replicate graphic design, uh, dynamic graphic design that the hardware could, could support. I personally would regard this game as a bit of a novelty, but it's not mm. personally, it's not a favorite of mine because of yeah. just uh, how difficult it could be. What do you reckon? Um, the proof of concept is cool, but um, yeah. I don't know, man. Like, the- Seeing you jump from comic strip to comic strip turns me off a bit, but it, in all hearts, I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a big comic book fan, so it's probably good yeah. for the fucking for the. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. Um, it's probably good for the. <laughs> you're gonna say geek. You're gonna say geek. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably good for the comic book fan who love people who love yeah. comic books. You know, comic book zone. So it goes hand in hand. But yeah, I'm not a big comic book fan, but. The proof of concept and the creative, the creativeness is pretty cool, man. New creativity, yeah. Yeah, creativity and the creativeness. Yeah, so creativity, yeah, for sure. All right, man. Is, this, is that it? I think that's it for tonight. Yeah. yeah. We, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely we'll, do a part two for this because I was I don't know, yeah. quite other games I want to. Well, there's quite a few more I games I want to mention, but yeah. But um, for the listeners out there, thank you for tuning in and uh, stay in tune. For the next episode of the Two Big Gamers podcast. See you guys. Take it easy. Thank you guys. Bye. Bye.